Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, regulatory hacking, a playbook for startups. Of sitting with a really prominent VC a few years ago in, in Silicon Valley who just flat out said, well, I don't understand why government, why startups would need to think about government at all because Uber proved that if you stack up enough government, enough capital, government just doesn't matter. Does government matter to entrepreneurs? We're going to find out today. Evan Burfield is a nationally recognized thought leader on innovation and entrepreneurship. He was the co-founder of 1776, a prominent international business accelerator based in Washington, D.C., and he's now the CEO of Union, a new approach to connecting innovators with resources and growth opportunities. Evan just released his new book, Regulatory Hacking, and raises an interesting question. Should entrepreneurs ignore government and regulation, or should they embrace it? Regulatory hacking, what is it? Regulatory hacking is uh, kind of a philosophy, a methodology, if you will, that's really evolved out a lot of the work that we did at 1776. And it really starts from the premise that most of the big opportunities for entrepreneurs, for investors over the next 20 years, actually are going to come from new technologies being applied in incredibly regulated markets. So if you think about um, self-driving cars, you think about blockchain and Bitcoin, you think about genomics, all these really incredible, powerful technologies, all of them are going to have uh, their financial returns come from markets that aren't just a little bit regulated, but are extremely regulated. And I don't think the Silicon Valley playbook does a very good job at all of teaching entrepreneurs how you build high growth companies in that context. And that's really what the book sets out to do. I mean, in effect, my view of Silicon, the Silicon Valley playbook is you, it's all, it's almost like the old joke about economists, you know, assume, you know, assume the world, Silicon Valley, assume government doesn't matter, assume regulation goes exactly away right. or blow it up, which you believe, I think that's a nonsensical viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's sort of two approaches. One is the assume government doesn't exist or Wait until you've raised a lot of capital, and then maybe you go hire a lobbyist to keep government out of out of your job, right, out of your business. The other is kind of what I would describe the Uber playbook as, which is, um, hey, let's uh, get a technology out there really quickly, car sharing. Let's uh, get a whole bunch of riders on board, even if we might be violating laws or regulations, because by the time policymakers catch up, we'll have amassed so much capital and so many users that we can just kind of roll government. And I actually tell this anecdote in the book of, of sitting with a really prominent VC a few years ago in, in Silicon Valley, who just flat out said, well, I don't understand why government, why startups would need to think about government at all, because Uber proved that if you stack up enough government, enough capital, government just doesn't matter. And, and I think that A, is a horribly gross misreading of the strategy Uber actually applied, which was a lot more thoughtful and sophisticated than that. And number two, it hasn't worked particularly well in almost any context other than Uber. You know, 23andMe stacked up a lot of capital, but when you get a cease and desist letter from the FDA, you, you can't just ignore it and sort of fudge it later, right? Right, and Theranos ran afoul the fraud rules, and even though it raised a lot of money. You know, it's funny, Evan, it strikes me that when, because I have this conversation as well, you and I are very much aligned in this, this view, people will get their hackles will get up. Talking about regulation becomes a, a partisan discussion really quickly, but you don't see it that way, do you? I don't, and um, a, a really central idea in the book is that this isn't about the US, it's not about uh, conservative versus liberal. This is relevant, this methodology, this approach, this, this kind of innovation is relevant to almost any political system in the world. Every 
government in the world that is functioning regulates things that matter and are risky to their citizens. There is no government that doesn't put in place traffic rules. There is no government that does not put in place things to protect food supply, right? Because governments that don't, don't last very long. It's just a question of degree, in other words. Exactly. And so if you're an entrepreneur and you want to apply amazing new technologies to transform food supply, you, you can't simply wave away the reality of regulation. You have to understand it. You have to engage with it. If you want to create cars that drive themselves, there is no government in the world that is going to go, hey, that's awesome. Just, just put them out there and we'll see what happens. Right. And even if you were, you still have to deal with the effective regulation that insurance companies and liability and legal structures impose, right? And so given that almost all the really big opportunities for innovation are in these regulated sectors, entrepreneurs and investors just should get smart about this stuff. So when you hone it down, regulatory hacking is, it's sort of like we do lean startup methodology to do rapid customer discovery. It, it, it sounds to me that what you're saying is when you're finding out who your initial customer is, you should also be figuring out what the regulatory impediments or opportunities are. Yeah, we talk about that a lot, actually. And I think, you know, I don't, this book isn't uh, a repudiation of lean principles at all. It's an application of lean startup principles to these very complex markets. And the way lean often gets applied says, hey, you know, you need to be obsessive about your customer. You need to understand everything about your customer. But take, for example, transforming clinical workflows in healthcare. Who's your customer, right? The beneficiary may be a patient. The user, in one sense, might be a nurse. The user, in another sense, meaning they're taking advantage of data that this de deploys, is maybe a doctor. Uh, a hospital administrator is the actual buyer, but the payer is government or an insurance company. And, oh, by the way, you might have to get some regulations changed or reinterpreted and so you got to make sure it adds value to, whoever, value to whoever the regulator is. So who's your customer? Right? You have to add value to a whole range of stakeholders or your solution simply doesn't work as a business. And that actual reality holds true in situation after situation, healthcare, transportation, security, financial services, so many of these markets. And so instead of being obsessive about your customer, you need to be obsessive about the full power map you're confronting. Who's everybody who cares, who everybody has to be aligned, who influences them, what do they want, what are their motivations, what are their capabilities? And once you get that right, you got to flow from there into your business model, your growth strategy, how you really build your business. In some ways, it's analogous to social venturing where you have to be aware of, of the donors, for example. You know, Evan, last thing before I let you go, this seems to me to be the answer to a question that many people have asked, which is what could be distinctive of a DC-based entrepreneurship? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you and I have, have been having a dialogue about this for going on seven, six, seven years now. And I, and I think it's only more true today. I think what's, what's great is five years ago, the idea that D.C. should focus on markets in which regulation is central still felt like kind of a niche thing. Today, honestly, I think if you look at where the frontier of startup innovation venture capital is globally, it's in these sectors and DC should be a place that can be a world leader and dominant in these areas. Evan, I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, good luck with regulatory hacking. I think it's a book that a lot of us should read. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. And we want to say a special thank you to these show's sponsors. What's working in Washington wouldn't happen without the support of other organizations here in town who want to make a difference by highlighting how a region grows. 
Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation. Their business development team can help you find the best talent and ideal location and the latest in market and business intelligence. Your business starts with MCEDC. Connect with them at thinkmoco.com. And TEDCO. TEDCO invests in early stage and life sciences companies. It produces resources and connections that companies need to thrive in Maryland. TEDCO's mission is to discover, invest in, and help build great companies. Learn more at www.tedco.md. And Jones Lang LaSalle, they're a leading commercial real estate service company within the Washington, D.C. metro area, serving the technology, government contract, and their professional services industries. JLL's strategy-led approach and expert implementation results in cost-effective and flexible real estate solutions that help their clients succeed and grow. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>